Okay, welcome to the Acknowledge of Everything. This week, uh, we are going to be talking about labor unions, and we had a special guest with us. We had uh, Ryan Danforth Downs on, who we both knew from sailing with the Grays Harbor historical seaport boats. I met him in 2018. I think Rosie's known him a lot longer than that. Yeah, um, almost 15 years, I think. Yeah, so we've sailed together in like different capacities. And the, the last time we sailed together, he was the captain, I was the cook. So I've seen him rise through the ranks. And I, I knew that he had... Uh, studied history and um, and he's actually continuing to study history and education um, at this time. But uh, he's very knowledgeable, especially on certain aspects of U.S. history. And uh, so I immediately thought of him when I kind of scanned my list of things I wanted to talk about. And uh, I saw labor unions and I realized, oh, he posted something on Instagram about that recently. So uh, I talked to him and he gave me a couple other topics. But yeah, and we chose labor unions. It was really nice to have him on and to learn that he was going to be a teacher because this whole time he was talking, I was like, I needed somebody like you in high school. Like I needed somebody who was like mm-hmm. personable, but also like no bullshit, but also is going to teach me the important parts of history, not just the parts that I'm quote unquote. Yeah. Supposed to yeah, know. yeah. Not just the, the PC stuff that's in the textbooks from, you know, the eighties and stuff <laughs> that I'm sure were still around when I was in high school. But right. yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it, it was wonderful to, uh, to have him on and get that perspective because it was well-rounded. Um, we talked about, uh, it wasn't just glorifying unions. We talked a lot about the importance of them, but we also talked about sort of the problematic history um, and things like that, which I think is very important not to shy away from. Uh, and that was one of the, the things that I really kind of got out of some of the research that I did and a lot of what he was saying. Um, let me see what else is it was I just I was really interested in all the history behind it because it goes back so much farther than I thought or realized and yeah I'm really I know we joke about it in the episode but I'm really hoping we can do like a recurring segment of history with Ryan because I'm like yeah really I need more history <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm like after this one, I'm I'm so interested in listening and uh, hearing about uh, Reconstructionist history and kind of, you know, going deeper into that and just you know learning a little bit more on that those subjects. So yeah, I I think that would actually be a really cool recurring segment. Oh, and a, and this is a good segue to uh, the fact that he at some point is going to be launching a podcast of his own called Far Corner. So look out for that yeah. uh, for Far Corner. Uh, yeah. About TNC so, history. Yes, about Pacific Northwest yeah. history, uh, which he knows a lot about. Yeah. So we will um, be listening. I want to give this. Like, yes, we definitely will. We'll be promoting it eventually. I want to give a quick disclaimer. So, this, what we recorded the with Ryan yesterday, which was Saturday, which was the day that uh, the news broke that uh, Joe Biden is the president elect. um yeah but so on tuesday on actual election day griffin and i did some self-care and went out and got another kitten so we have a four-month-old little baby running around but she's in my office all the time because we have another cat that we've had that we got for quarantine in march so we um (laughs) politically charged cats (laughs) because uh, we knew i was going to be in here for a good while we did something called room switching 
where so we put Luna is the baby cat. She went with Griffin out into the main part of the apartment and Toph, the older cat, is in here with me. And she was confused and upset and there was like new smells in here. So she was meowing for the majority of the time. So that's why I'm not talking a whole lot because if I do, you hear a cat in the background. And then like a little bit through the episode, like towards the end, Griffin comes in and switches the cats. So, and then Luna is trying to eat everything because she's in play mode. So at some point, I think I forgot to mute my mic and I went, don't eat that. And then I was like, oh, my mic was on. So, um, if there's commotion whenever I toss I that, why is she a little... Yeah, Rosie, don't eat that. <laughs> and if you can hear her now, like she's playing. So, yeah, we got some... We got self-care cats going on. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want to let the listeners know that the, there's lots of noises on my microphone during this episode. Yeah, my uh, my kitten is actually wandering around the the bits of the apartment that are now exposed because we've been moving pieces out. So, uh, so you might hear her in the background of this. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this was a really good episode. Like this might be one. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, might this be one of my really, favorite really good episode so far. Yeah, it, and it really, as I said later in the episode, it just uh, it really. Rem- resonated with me pretty much everything we've kind of looked at so far it seems has reminded me that history is racist and that we keep going through patterns uh, but they're recognizable patterns and if we keep studying them maybe we can stop doing that so you know that's an upside hopefully yeah, I think it's important to note that one aspect of being an adult is actually looking up history for yourself and not just being like, as soon as you're done in school, learning about history that you don't have to learn anymore because you really have mm-hmm. to go figure out where the truth, quote unquote, truth is and like what all of the things that happened, not just the things they told you that happened. So I think that's kind of... yeah something that comes with being a good functioning adult is actually looking into all aspects of history. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Self-education and, and looking for resources is always just, it opens up so many doors and so much, um, it broadens your mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was my phone. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is probably a good place to stop because we really have a lot of info in the episode, so we don't really need to say much here. But yeah. that's our little yeah. intro. Right. And yeah, I mean, shout out to Dicks for Good as always. And I think shout that out to Ryan Downs. Shout out to Ryan Downs. Absolutely. Um, if you want to follow him on Instagram, he is at Captain Luddite. Uh, so you can look that up. We also follow him. Yes. And I think you made a yeah. post on Instagram with him, so we should probably tag him in that too. I did. I did. I made a post and I tagged him in it as well. It was like an hour of me trying to figure out how to make Instagram videos all work together and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was informative and now I know how to do that. And, uh, no, I am not 67 years old. <laughs> I just am not super great at technology. So like I've said before, huge learning curve. Come with me, you guys. We'll have fun. <laughs> We're just two grandmas stuck in uh, younger bodies. Because <laughs> Griffin yeah. and I drank tea and played Scrabble the other night. It was a crazy Saturday for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm All wearing right. a cardigan and I'm like really wanting to just stay home and knit right now. <laughs> 
but <laughs> a friend of ours has really good burgers. So we're going to go have those. Uh, so yeah, Aww. it was nice talking to you today. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. It was nice talking to you too. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye. My name's Ryan. I'm glad to be here. I've, I've gotten to listen to 1.03 of your episodes uh, so far. But a listener! Keep, yeah, I'm going to keep listening. Um, yeah, I live in uh, Northwest Washington State. I uh, know both of you from working on ships. And I have been working in the maritime industry for about 15 years. I run a small business that... Um, tourism small business that uh, takes boat it takes uh, passengers out to the San Juan Islands on my little boat and um, my involvement with labor unions is actually pretty limited I was in the inland boatmen's union which is the maritime division of the international longshoremen and warehouse union the ILWU and uh, so I was in that union for two years and I've always been fascinated with the history of the American left. I've been his. Uh, I have a degree in history, and I'm getting. I'm, I'm about halfway done with my master's in education right now. Um, oh, wow. But I've always been interested in in uh, kind of issues on the American left and global um, issues on the on the left. But uh, that's kind of my specialty has been kind of in that area. Where Where did you get your degrees from? Where are you going to school? So I'm getting a, a master's online right now, which is funny because I did it, I, I set it up just before COVID. So it's been working out great uh, for me <laughs> that I did that early. Um, but it's a it's a small university in Arizona called Grand Canyon University, and they do an online online okay. master's program for, edu- for educators. There's kind of two online programs for educators that, let me put it this way, I'm really disinterested in like sitting in a classroom with 20 year olds ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to sound mm-hmm. ageist, yeah. but uh, like I just don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and I've got a bunch to do here at home, including running a business and um, uh, trying to find a job and uh, remodeling this old house. So yeah. um, being at home is like a really good idea. Yeah, and then I got my uh, I grew up in California, and I got my degree in history from Humboldt State University in uh, Humboldt County. In oh, cool! Yeah, Colorado. I lived there. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. Nice. So I was up there for a few years doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason, uh, just FYI for our many listeners that we have out there right now, uh, is that uh, the, the reason that we asked Ryan to do this is just because he is more knowledgeable and outspoken than than we have been on this subject and than probably most of my friends. Um, and uh, from you know, knowing him for gosh, like over a decade now, maybe like 15 years now. Yeah, 15 um, years. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I trust his, uh, I trust that he ha- is responsible about information sourcing and, uh, and that he knows what he's talking about. So, yeah, so we're going to talk today about labor unions. Uh, let's, let's start with the origin of labor unions. Um, and we want to, I guess, focus on the U.S. in particular, but if there's something they've drawn from like other countries, we can incorporate that in. America's a, uh, kind of, a, kind of a, a strange country in that we are founded as a, a revolutionary, uh, like a very revolutionary country. 
Um, we're the first um, of the modern democracies, you could say. There's, of course, ancient democracies, mm-hmm. um, you know, Greece and such. But we're um, really the first country that uh, said no to a crown, which is unique. And in the, I, I, we've always had in my mind kind of a um, kind of an identity crisis in that our our revolution was a very like. F- fiscally conservative revolution, so to speak, um, in that we really, one of our main reasons for um, forming our own union and getting away from the crown of England was uh, not to pay taxes. Uh, So we're kind of like, we kind of start in this zone of being um, fairly conservative uh, by our modern interpretations of fiscal conservatism, which not is not necessarily how they looked at it back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, a large streak of independence, uh, but I think a lot of people have misinterpreted kind of the people who founded this country as being like, for instance, uh, Glenn Beck a little <laughs> while ago, uh, Glenn Beck was, um, he wrote a book about Thomas Paine, uh, kind of claiming Thomas Paine as a conservative icon, which just really blows my mind because Thomas Paine was, um, what, what we could now really, this is, um, people argue with me on this, but I I would say Thomas Paine by his writings would be, it would be an easier sell for the, for socialists to claim him like democratic socialists to claim Thomas Paine as kind of a guiding light. And so it's really weird for me to see, neocons uh really like gravitate towards the founding fathers when i'm just like yeah i don't know if that's accurate i mean Um, it's it's like when like republicans have someone dress up as lincoln it's misleading (laughs) you know like right and it's it's also difficult because we use kind of the same terms from earlier eras and we kind of incorporate them into the modern era so like the democratic party of today is hardly the democratic party of 18 60 or you know the republican party also is hardly the republican party of 1860 um so it's the terms are weird but labor labor has gone through a couple of um and i'll use the like not capitalized l in labor for the Mm -hmm. start of this um because in the early days of this country it was kind of disjointed and a little bit weird uh, so we don't, you know, when you think of like strikes and things like that, you, you kind of think of the, uh, you know, maybe late 1800s to the 1930s and stuff like that. But that's kind of different from how things started in this country in the, in the really early days. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were evidences of that kind of stuff happening in the early days. Uh, yeah, I, so. have, I have here... The earliest recorded strike was 1768, when New York journeyman tailors protested a wage reduction. So it's a ways back there. Yeah, that's a that's a really famous one. Um, there's a also if you want to get really really meta, there's actually uh, in the um, 1600s there was a what we could call a strike of fishermen off the coast of Maine. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, that's cool. So that's that's pretty interesting um there is a record of in 1860 i'm sorry 1677 uh there was a um a fine was issued we just we don't have a lot of documentation on this but a uh, a fine was issued in new york city for 12 car who went on strike i assume can you repeat Carmen that you cut a, out for 
Yeah. Corman? No problem. Can you hear me fine now? Yeah. Carmen? No, it just cut out for C-A-R. a second. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure what the job of a Carmen was, um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's like this fine that was issued for those guys for not uh, for refusing to work. So huh. those are, and the one that you stated is a, is a famous one too. So we have like kind of an inkling of strikes in those era. Um, but it really doesn't start happening till the 1840s um, when it actually like reaches the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in those days, like the only way to like get good at doing a job was, was an apprenticeship. Obviously we still have apprenticeships now, um, but the, the, really the way to get a, a good paying job, you wanna have like a skilled job is to be uh, apprenticed under a master mm-hmm. for whatever. And that is good in that you can learn how to be really good at something. You have a teacher, but bad while you're an apprentice because you're really doing, you're in some cases not even being paid. Uh, and we have unpaid <laughs> inter- internships now, which are kind of the new, <laughs> the new apprenticeships. It's, but, no, um, it's funny because on, on the boat that Hope and I have worked out a lot in the last uh, five years, that actually the, uh, the long-term volunteer is called an apprentice. So it's just yeah. kind of funny oh, to see that. It's like, oh, yeah, they don't get paid, but they learn how to do stuff. Yeah. But they don't have to pay to be there. So you go trainee where you pay to be there. Apprentice, not getting paid, right. you're not getting paid. Yeah, you're not right. paying to be there. And then you start getting paid. So right. I just thought there was a, such a good crossover there, you know. <laughs> Tattoo artists also yeah. have to have an apprenticeship um, Correct. in their field of yeah. work. So Correct. those are the yeah, only the two guy, I know about. The guy who does my tattoos, um, he <laughs> he's one of the more sought after um, tattoo artists in the Bay Area of California. It's like a big deal there. But when I got my first tattoo by him, he like had a like cot in the hallway of, you know, some tattoo shop where he was, you know, sweeping out the joint. Uh, oh my and, God. Wow. Yeah. And so like I stuck with that same guy for 20 years. And it's now, a journey. You know, now he's a big deal, you know, so, which is funny. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a couple of Supreme Court cases in the 1840s, uh, Commonwealth v. Hunt. Uh, that's 1842, and that's a Massachusetts Supreme Court, um, and it was ruled in that that labor unions or labor combinations are legal, provided that they are organized for a legal purpose and used legal means to achieve their goals. So that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, because uh, you could just say, oh, well, it's illegal to not perform your contract, so. Right. Right. So that's, that becomes difficult to cite as jurisprudence. Um, but that's really the first time that it hits any kind of high court. Um, you got to also imagine that at the same time in the eight, in the, like in the middle part of the, of the 19th century, especially in the 1840s, there's a lot, there's a giant revolution going on throughout Europe in the, in 1848. Uh, a lot of this is, um, spurned by, you know, tyrannical dictatorship, you know, kingdoms in Europe. And there's a lot of folks that are learning how to do complicated trades, especially in, if you imagine what's going on, this is the middle of the industrial revolution, right? So you have a lot of people that are doing more industrial jobs. Railroads are around now, um, factories that produce textiles, factories that produce uh, tobacco, you know, there's a, there, there's agricultural and there's industrial and the industrialization is picking up more and more employees, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas 
most people just used to be farmers. Now we have more people moving to cities. We have more people working. And so in those kind of situations, those machines aren't good. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not like, uh, they haven't, they're not very safe. And so you can, you know, get your jacket sleeve caught in a giant cog and now you don't have an arm anymore. And when you don't have an arm, you can't do the job. So you're fired. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just like the, the law and the organization has not caught up with the incredible advancement of technology, I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. My, my um, dad so, lost a thumbnail in a similar way, actually. It was like he was gesturing to something and like explaining something like got a cotton some machinery and then didn't have one of his thumbnails. Thank God it was just oh, no. a thumbnail. I know. Thank God and it was during the industrial revolution. He would have died again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and fired. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. What was he, what, what kind of job was did, that? Did you what ever notice doing? that he didn't have, he, oh, he was like, I like, he wasn't working in the factory, which is why he like, didn't know what the machines were doing, I guess, but he was like giving someone a tour. Is what I was told. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like gestures. <laughs> both, both my grandparents, both my granddads worked in the steel mills in Pittsburgh. And my one grandpa was missing a whole pinky from like some factory thing. And my mom said he used to chew on the nub during Steelers games when he would get nervous. And I was like, that's normal. And like I grew up thinking like that was a normal thing. And then I tell other people that and they're like, that's gross. <laughs> and then yeah. my other grandpa, I think, was missing like one or two knuckles on his one finger. So I just thought all grandpas didn't have all their digits. I didn't know. <laughs> Oh, you can see yeah. why they want a union to Probably, care for yeah. that stuff when it happens. Go on. This, this is just a comical side. You're talking about giving tours. Um, when I was in Baltimore working on the Lady Maryland, we did a huge, huge rebuild on the Lady Maryland. Um, like new stem, completely refastened. Like it was, it was a hell of a job. But um, they're trying to, you know, uh, living classrooms is like trying to get money from, you know, like rich Baltimoreans. And uh, so anyway, I am. Uh, reefing out a seam that I'm about to caulk and uh, the hammer bounced off my reefing hook and hit me right in the nose and it just like so I've just like got blood all over my face I'm just like oh my god and I'm like wiping blood out of my face and uh, one of the guys from the organization was like and here's Ryan he's one of our caulkers uh, Ryan this is coach Jim Harbaugh from the uh, Baltimore Ravens so I was like hey, yeah! hey coach I gotta, I gotta be right back I'm about bleeding quite a bit here <laughs> Oh, oh, giving tours, so giving tours while you're working, maybe it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't give tours while people are doing things. Cause... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't give no, important right. tours. That's yeah. an important tour. <laughs> there it is. There it is. We're working here. I've never um, actually yeah. thought before about what the like the people who were getting the tour must have felt at the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, who, knows? Ah! who knows? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so as in America, as um, as many industries are on the rise, there's three industries that kind of grow together. And we're talking about, there's um, kind of a, a differentiation that can be made between craft unionism and industrial unionism. And, uh, you know, it's just the kind of work you do if you're working in mm -hmm. an industrial setting or if you're an artisan or a craftsman. Um, so but but, but the artisan and craftsman one unions clearly would have predated the industrial ones, right? Yes. And also, and then we'll talk in a minute about how those differentiations create divisions that were harmful to labor, mm -hmm. that were exploited by 
um, a management class, um, but we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah, so there is a there is kind of a differentiation, and the as industrial as as the industrial community gobbles up more workers in the 1860s, a lot of unions start forming uh, that are really important in the early days of unionism in this country. Uh, so there's three industries that like kind of grow together. That is coal, steel, and the railroads, because the railroads need steel rails. Mm -hmm. And in order to make steel, you need a ton of coal. Uh, so those three industries, and you're talking about miners uh, mining the coal, you're talking about um, a bunch of different labor in the railroad industry, people that work in shops repairing locomotives, people that build the cars for railroads, people that lay track, the engineers, the conductors, the firemen. And then you're talking about all the different angles of the steel industry to build the steel for the railroad. So they kind of grow together and it employs a hell of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, that was one of the first, uh, they're from 1863, they start in Detroit. And then one that's going to be also important is the National Labor Union. They start the next year or two, three years later in 66. And uh, that one doesn't last as long, but it gobbles up a lot of people as well. And yeah. then uh, the Order of the Knights of St. Crispin, including the Daughters of St. Crispin, which is really important because that's the dawn of women being involved in the labor union as well. Yay! And uh, that's important. No more and more important as decades go on and more women enter the labor industry. That becomes really important. So the um, the St. Crispin Knights of St. Crispin were uh, eight, like 1867, um, and they become the largest union in the country for quite a while. Um, but the railroad is really the most important in kind of the early days of unionization. And uh, some of the big unions that you'll hear names of is the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Division, the BMWED. Those guys are the guys who like go out and lay the tracks and fix things. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They need a lot of people. Um, Order of Railway Conductors, uh, Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen, and the Brotherhood of Railroad Trainmen. And so those kind of like, uh, they were not originally members of the AFL. You have two big organizations to start, the AFL and the Knights of Labor. Um, so all of those unions are kind of gobbled up into one of those two kind of bigger organizations mm -hmm. later. Um, but the Knights become really important and the AFL, the American Federation of Labor, which is still around, the AFL-CIO. We'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I went too. to their website. I'm going to put their website okay, up on our website or like a link to it also. So, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and that, you know, we we're talking about the kind of the division between uh, industry and craft unionism. Um, the AFL-CIO and their history really exemplify that because the... Um, they were kind of different organizations originally. They'll come together later in the 20th century, but in the 19th century, they're very different. Um, AFL was kind of a more, what's the word for it? Um, a more centrist organization and the CIO was a more kind of more radical organization. Um, later you have the Western Federation of Miners, which become really important in the early 20th century, the first 13 years of the 20th century. Um, but once these organizations, so you start these formations of these unions and they don't really, their, le their legality is in question. Um, they are pretty reviled by 
not only the upper class uh, who are management, but kind of the like upper middle class too of uh, Americans who are like, well, these guys are the unwashed masses. There's charges that they're all immigrants. Um, you know, the, the kind of nativist arguments that we're used to hearing nowadays. I say that sounds so um, familiar. Yeah. And it's really, it's never been true. And uh, it wasn't true then and it's not true now. Um, but that is a, a when you don't own the newspapers <laughs> and um, people who have means like Horace Greeley and some of the great uh, 19th century media operators, you're not really offering a voice to those people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Am I talking too much here? No, 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 it's good. I'm just trying not to interrupt you because you have a really good like oh, stream going interrupt. on. <laughs> <laughs> please interrupt. Um, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, times when things come to a head and when they come to a head and they come to violence that offers in some ways it offers a different perspective on uh, than the narrative that the management class and the people who run the, the mines and the railroads and the newspapers um, talk about it. However, it also kind of proves the point in a certain way that like, hey, these guys are violent extremists. Look, there's there's violence. So so what's the like what's the party line for the the people who are in charge of stuff versus the uh, the experience of the actual workers? So there's a um, the, the experience of workers, and this is also a way that, that this is also a thing that we see kind of happening in our modern political disaster that we're experiencing now, and really class disaster that we're experiencing now is that well, although we should say for posterity on the day that we're recording, uh, like mere hours mm -hmm. ago, mo most outlets are calling the uh, 2020 presidential race for Joe Biden. So there's like a glimmer of hope, but you know. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, yeah. Just want to make uh, sure that was in there. Yeah, yeah. It, it provides a context, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the uh, there's little doubt, and even in the I would say even the contemporary like late 19th century. We're talking from 1860s now to like the eight, to like 1899. Let's say right now. Mm -hmm. I think there's little surprise from. I guess what you could call middle America then. Now you gotta you gotta keep in mind that the majority of Americans in the 1860s are farmers. That's the majority of Americans are farmers yeah. on subsistence farms. That's the majority. Um, but you also have people living in cities. You have the, the creation of a middle class, really. Um, and to these people, they know that there is dis that there is disquiet and and uh protest on behalf of industrial workers um they know that they know these people even someone living in rural america a, a farmer for instance has to sell his goods that are going to be shipped by a railroad like they know people in the railroad industry right and there's little surprise that um accidents are rife there's little concern for worker safety hours are insane child labor there are no laws against child labor at this time um, yeah. so they, they know they know that something's wrong you know, it, it exists in the popular imagination in the books of, um, you know, like books like David Copperfield, like there's it, it exists in popular culture, like people are aware of the plight of the worker, quote unquote. Yeah. The question is always, how much do they sympathize with that worker, which is what we're experiencing now. Yeah, right? that absolutely. is always going to exist. Um, the more comfortable Americans are like, and maybe this is unkind, but I say this a lot, um, like 
I, I say it in regards to our political, the, the last four years, for instance, why would Americans worry about who the president is when they can just get a Chipotle and watch Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> right? There is so much to distract us and comfort us that why would yeah. we step out of that comfort to actually worry about something that's uncomfortable? Right. Yeah, it's very easy to, you know, say, oh, I, I'm just not political. I don't like talking about that stuff, especially when you're someone who looks like one of us and has had the experience, uh, life experience of one of us. Um, white which, people. For our listeners, white people. <laughs> um, like, and, and educated white people as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, And, you know, it, uh, that exists in the late 19th century, too. You've got uh, mm -hmm. what we call the 1890s is known as the, the Gilded Age. Um, that's a quote from Mark Twain, who was being sarcastic, yeah. um, which we never talk about. Uh, we just call it the Gilded Age. It was just like a lovely time. Whoa. What it actually was, and he says this in his, when he quotes it, is the, something that's gilded is made out of lead, but has a like gold veneer. It's rotting underneath. Uh, oh my God. The plight of most Americans in the 1890s was dire. We had just gotten out of a Great Depression, a very bad depression in the 1870s. And we had another one in 1893 that crippled the economy. Like in the Great Depression, we had like, uh, uh, I have to look at the numbers. In the Great Depression, we had something like uh, 20 to 23 percent unemployment nationally. Oh in the God. Depression of 1893, it was 40% in some states. What? Like, forget the Great Depression, the, the panic of 1890. I've never heard of the yeah, like, why depression are we in about this? <laughs> we could totally talk about it. <laughs> we could totally talk about the, the panic of 93. Oh oh um, and it's really only ended by um, the Yukon Gold Rush in 1897. Oh. So with that infusion of gold back into the national economy, that basically, yeah. Okay, yeah, so now is as good a time to talk about this as any. Uh, capitalism, okay, I'll have to quantify this. I am a I am a democratic socialist. I'm a member of DSA, so I wanna give a shout out to DSA. Um, but the, uh, so my perspective is, is somewhat guided by that, but cap, if we look at the history of capitalism in this country, it dies this really terrible death every, let's call it 15 years it or 20 years. Even. It dies this really, really violent death. And then something bails it out right about the time that Americans are, are ready to be done with it. And it's really unfortunate. Um, so 93 is uh, kind of a high watermark for labor unions, which are just in their infancy. And then the dam bursts and, you know, we get a bunch of infusion of gold, which kind of makes things a little bit better. And like I said about the Chipotle and the, you know, dancing with the stars, when things get just a little bit better, we get to ignore all of the things that are going wrong because yeah. now we're a little bit more comfortable, right? Um, in the 1890s, we're getting electricity, you know, we're getting all these new fancy things that we can start to forget about the plight of the worker, which has not changed. Um, so, that and in fact it's because of like the, the average worker that you have a lot of those things even which is right just a so at its at, at one of the at, for marxists and socialists uh, one of the basic things one of the basic beliefs is that uh workers should be in charge of the you should be able to uh reap what you sow you should be whatever that whatever that you put, the work that you put in you should be able to reap that benefit and that actually was uh, used by newly freedmen after the Civil War ended. 
uh, black folks in the South who, like, there was a, you ever heard of 40 acres and a mule? You heard that term yeah. before? Okay, so uh, that's based on General Order 15, which uh, General Sherman issued to the Army that said, like, hey, we've got all these extra mules the Army doesn't need anymore because uh, we've reached the sea. We're in Savannah. And we've just confiscated all of these plantation, rice plantations from uh, planters. So uh, all of these newly freed Black people, you can have 40 acres of all of those plantations, and some of these broke-down Army mules that we don't need anymore. In perpetuity, that's yours. <laughs> and... Um, the reason they did that is because they had a meeting with a couple of black preachers and uh, the secretary of war. They sat down in Savannah and they're like, look, uh, and this is a pretty incredible moment from African-American history, which is they actually listened to people, <laughs> which is incredible. Oh, wow. uh, so they sat down a, um, a bunch of clergymen, uh, black clergymen. And they're like, look, we don't know what it's like for you. And we don't know what you want. What do you want? Oh my God. Oh, that's amazing. And these preachers are like, well, we just need land. Like freedom without land means nothing. You have given us the freedom to be unclothed and unfed. And that's not freedom. So if you just give us uh, land and leave us alone, we'll be just fine. Oh, my God. And for a minute, they did that until Andrew Johnson ascended the presidency after Lincoln was assassinated and rescinded Order 15. And then drove everyone off the plantation, former plantations, and gave the land back to the original owners in exchange for them swearing allegiance to the union. Oh, well, we can talk about reconstruction some other time. Can you do one on yeah, that? Yeah, that's true. No, we can absolutely do that. We can just but, have um, history lessons with well, Ryan every few weeks. That's true. <laughs> we could. Yeah. Well, I like we could have like certain collections. You know, we could have like a yeah. collection about like this thing, this thing. <laughs> and you can just throw it in whenever you need it, you know. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one of the things that those uh, preachers were saying when they met with General Sherman and Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of War, was uh, the biblical principle that who, uh, that you should be able to reap what you sow. So we have been sowing and not reaping as slaves, and we want a reversal of that. And American labor uh, has always believed the same thing. Uh, and that sounds reasonable, but it's in the details that things get murky, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then then there's some really explosive violence. Um, really, the first time is uh, the Haymarket riot in Chicago, which is a pretty famous event. This is in 1886. Uh, this is a uh, starts as a railroad strike, um, and it kind of gets out of hand. Uh, there's a uh, the Southwestern Railroad was owned by this guy named Jay Gould, um, pretty yeah. incredible, incredible capitalist. And uh, because of his treatment of labor, the Knights of Labor uh, organized, and there was 1,400 strikes involving over half a million workers. That was all of the country. Half a million people in 1886 wow. is a lot of people. God, because um, just spreading, yeah. the word, spreading the word to that many people now is tough, and we have the internet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can you imagine that kind of organization? That's, that's no, <laughs> that's, it's, no. it's really remarkable. And uh, so things are really accelerating in 1885 and then 1886. And then um, there is a large uh, demonstration in Haymarket Square in Chicago. Someone throws a bomb. Nobody to this day knows who did it. And it's possible that it was um, it was po- it's possible that it was the Knights of Labor. Uh, strikers. That's probably the most unlikely scenario. Uh, but that was 
that's what the newspaper printed, uh, blaming the the labor unionists for the strike. I'm sorry for the for the bomb. Uh, another possibility was that it was the police. Um, I would say that's also fairly unlikely, but a little more likelier than the strikers. And then another probably more likely scenario was it was outside agitators that had infiltrated the strike and threw the bomb, possibly. But this is like, anarchist. I feel like we could be talking about weeks ago. Yeah, so nothing ever changes. Oh, is, yeah. is, the, is the basic lesson from American history is nothing yeah. Nothing changes. And right. And the other rule I've gotten from American history as I delve into stuff is everything is racist. Yeah. Nothing changes and everything is racist. Everything if is you, racist. Everything is sexist. If you found your basic operating principles off of uh, white supremacy and misogyny, which there is a really good argument that we were, and you don't repudiate those at any point in time to the degree that you kill them, yeah. uh, they're going to continue and they're going to influence politics and economy. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And we, re we had a chance to repudiate all of those and we failed to do it decisively. So in the seventies, we could have passed the equal rights amendment. We could have dealt with a constitutional amendment to end misogyny, but we decided yeah. not to do that. Uh, and oh, then... there's um just just a side note for anyone who like enjoys watching sort of um historical. Not it's not a documentary, but it's like inspired by the historical events. There's a series on Hulu about Phyllis Schlafly and the uh, the movement for and against the ERA, and particularly mm -hmm. her involvement. She was a conservative, and it's it's it's, it's, just a, it's really well done. Um, yeah, Mrs. I highly America. recommend it. Mrs. Mrs. America, I highly recommend yeah. it. It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, the history great. is pretty, pretty good. I give that a, like a, a B plus, A minus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's that's about what I would have figured. Is I was giving it about a B plus because you know they have to take some liberties to do the storytelling in a certain amount of time. But they also, you have to, in order to be sympathetic with other humans that may disagree with you. You also have to take a little artistic license to kind of flesh them out yeah. as a character. And I think they do that really responsibly with, with Phil Schlafly, yeah. who, so like, I'd like to not be sympathetic with, but, but I watched I, that show She and did a lot of me. stuff. She was very educated. She was very driven. Um, and she did a lot to further her own causes. Totally. She was very effective, um, just yeah. in ways that I find aberrant, yeah. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> That's very eloquent. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, so, you know, we had a chance to repudiate white supremacy um, with the 14th, 15th, I'm sorry, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act of 1866. And we could have done that, um, and we just uh, didn't for political expediency. We just didn't do it. And now we're kind of living with that. Yeah. Um, we also could have dealt with the problems that we're dealing with uh, wealth and inequality and labor issues and management issues. We could have dealt with that in from 1932 to 1940, but we, we didn't, we didn't finish the new deal and we allowed people to chip away at it since. And uh, for the reasons of political expediency, we really like being comfortable. We love those triple days. We love, we love yeah. uh, dancing with the stars and it's just frankly easier than um, just doing it. And we just, yeah. we we don't like doing it, um, yeah. But Haymarket 
the Haymarket riot really, and the and the uh, the trial afterwards, in which organizers were hanged uh, for oh. their participation and organization. This was um, for people on the left. This became a rallying cry, and for people on the right, this became a well. You see, that's just what they do. Um, and so, yeah, Haymarket still resonates uh, a lot in the labor yeah. movement as well as. Um, yeah this is our political processes today oh totally totally uh so let's let's fast forward to today um how many times is uh right-wing violence excused and left-wing violence uh condemned yeah you know there's 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 people um you know black people are being murdered and that's excused and uh a couple of windows get broken in a walmart and that's roundly condemned, right? Yeah. So that will always be the way. Yeah, that's that's going to so, be true. Forever. So what? Um, I guess I yeah, building on the fast forwarding today. Um, mm. for labor unions, um, what's the difference in like the trends we see today versus how things were sort of meant to be set up? And mm. and like yeah, if you can, let's just speak to a little bit about how unions work today. I've never been in one. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good transition. We, um, how do I start this? Um, there, there was, remember how I was saying like every once in a while capitalism dies a real, real rough death. And then we, you know, kind of have a chance to mm-hmm. put the coffin lid on it for good. Um, maybe the most, the best example of that is, is it has got to be the great depression. And after like during the Great Depression and the passage of a, a, a few laws um, that the Democrats passed in the 30s, um, we, we kind of changed our relationship with labor. Um, there was a, neighbor, a labor relations board that was founded um, at, a, at a cabinet level. There's a secretary of labor. Uh, so during this time, the recognition is, okay, and the, you got to understand, like the FDR administration and the New Deal was the most popular political movement and set of laws in American history. Like FDR was elected four times. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> <is>, loved FDR. <laughs> the uh, the split in the House, I think, in the, uh, the thirty four midterms, is I think there was like something like the House had like three hundred and twenty two Democrats and like a hundred and two Republicans. Like it was crazy Such and, a different landscape wow yeah a lot and, different and had, a lot different you had a very conservative supreme court at the time too which is the same however the you know the fdr basically a lot of the the supreme court refused to um agree with a lot of the national recovery act that uh fdr passed and claimed that a lot of it was unconstitutional and fdr just basically said well um Who's to say I can't add 20 Supreme Court justices and then get the judgments I want? There's nothing constitutionally <laughs> saying I can't pack the Supreme Court. And that's something that's come back uh, this election cycle. Yeah. Um, and after FDR threatened that, suddenly the Supreme Court started agreeing with Democrats a little more. Ooh, so something Democrats, in my mind, have forgotten is when you actually threaten to go to the mats in a real way, go you win. Down. When yeah. you fight, you win. And that is like one of the... So that's one of the core beliefs of unions. And that's a quote that you'll see on signs in union strikes. When we fight, 
Oh, oh he's frozen. We win. And the Democrats understand. Sir Cat. I, I there was like you froze for a minute and then also we're hearing uh, her cat talk. My yeah, my cat's really <laughs> upset. Yeah. That's why I'm on mute a whole bunch because she's it's a she's whole She's winning thing. because I could, she's fighting. Yes, exactly. that's what she exactly. demonstrated. That's important to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she so unhappy. <laughs> yeah, if like Democrats were able to um, find that courage and sand that they had in like 1934, 1936, um, I think things would be a lot, a lot different. Um, but so in the in the modern sense, where unions are now is. Uh, they went from a, a place of really incredible strength in the thirties and forties to a place of incredible weakness uh, where they are now. And that can be attributed to a couple of things in, in my opinion, which is uh, the just rabid fear of communism, which for some reason is still a thing. Um, yeah. You have to understand when, when unions really started, there was a huge resurgence in the union movement from like 1912 to like 1919. 1919 had some of the biggest strikes in American history. Uh, Seattle, near where I live, um, complete co- complete shutdown of every single, every it was a general strike and every worker walked off in 1919. Wow. And the the uh, labor council, the, the, the people who organized the strike, they're like, wait a minute, we can't all stop working because then garbage becomes a problem, then people starve. So you know what? We'll just feed people. So union members volunteered, were like creating kitchens, were like, you know, picking up garbage, were like doing all the things, running the city, and the city freaked out because <laughs> now. You can do it without our involvement? Now, yeah, elected officials don't have a job now. Wait, everybody, you know, so it was, it was a really moving strike. So, well, what happened in 1917? The communist revolution in Russia. And because of the violence of that, because of the radical change that the Bolshevik Revolution demonstrated, um, conservative elements were able to paint unions with this Bolshevik paintbrush and were able to use the fear. And, you know, the newspapers were a little bit different now that you, they over-dramatized everything, straight up made stuff up. Uh, and so they were printing all these really crazy stories about murders in Russia and stuff like that, some of which was happening, but they were able to liken it to, uh, you know, if you don't watch out, this will happen in Seattle. You'll have just roving death gangs, uh, you know, dragging you out of your beds and shooting you in the street. And so because the labor unions lost that public relations fight, uh, which they always have, basically, uh, things got worse. Now, fast forward to the thirties. Now they're winning the, um, the the you know the relations fight they're winning in the newspapers and things like that and so they're incredibly strong uh then fdr dies and didn't really set up the successor that people wanted we could have had henry wallace but we decided to not have henry wallace and we decided to have harry truman who what like his the only thing that people knew about harry truman is that he was super corruptible that's the only thing that they knew about him. Uh, yeah, he was known as the senator who just said yes to uh, the rich people in his district. He was a Democrat, but he was a pretty conservative um, Southern Democrat. And yeah. uh, so the late 40s, you see a conservative backlash to the New Deal. And 
the most important that that really affects us today is an act that was passed in 46 and 47 called the Taft-Hartley Act. Um, this basically regulated what kind of strikes are illegal. Um, they forced every union member to make an anti-communist pledge. Uh. That was later struck down by the Supreme Court in the 60s. Um, but the Taft-Hartley Act, which we are still living under now, really restricts the freedoms of unions. So um, huh. that's law. That's still law. And we're still suffering from Taft-Hartley. All right. Well, um, I'll, um, I'll find, I'll post on the website a link to something uh, reputable that tells you about the Taft-Hartley. Great. Um, yeah. yeah and, and so so unions now, um, they've just kind of been on the run. Uh, because of uh, neoliberalism and neoconservatism. So neoliberalism is a new model um, that claims the liberalism of the Great Depression. But th so the, the great neoliberal presidents, we could say, are like uh, Bush Sr., um, Clinton, and Obama. Um, those are... Okay. Those are the the neoliberal presidents of our of our time. Mm -hmm. Neoliberalism is not classical liberalism. It is a political ethos that is aligned with management and with banking, and it okay. uh, really causes labor to suffer. And that came out uh, that came as a reaction to neoconservatism, which is exemplified by Reagan, who is possibly the most anti-union president we've had in the 20th century. And which is ironic because he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild when <laughs> he was in Hollywood. And then he became the governor of California and just 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 destroyed unions uh, and then did the same as president when he uh, the air traffic control air traffic controlmen had a big strike because they work harder hours than anyone. Their job is extremely stressful. If they screw up, thousands of people die. Uh, they were working mm -hmm. hard hours and stuff like that. Now, they were highly paid, but um, pay should reflect the amount of work that you put into something, and they wanted to raise. Yeah, and, and, so it's, you know, and also, it's not just about pay. It's about, like, your working conditions and the respect you have from your employer as well. Absolutely, and the amount that your uh, the amount that management makes from your labor, uh, if that is an unequal balance to what you make, then something's wrong um, because you actually are the one producing the wealth. Yeah. So you should have a say in that. So they went on strike and under Taft-Hartley, uh, Reagan uh, got a Supreme Court order to get them back to work. Uh, and if they didn't get back to work, they were fired. And that's what broke that broke that union and broke a lot of unions. And uh, he weaponized Taft-Hartley, basically. Um, so that was uh, he wasn't the first guy to do that, but um, he made it kind of famous. So since the 80s, uh, neoliberalism is also exemplified by um, international uh, trade agreements, which the net effect of which is jobs in the especially in the manufacturing industries going to other countries. Um, so the best example of that is NAFTA, and that was a huge blow to unions. Just yeah, that was under Clinton, unions. right? That was under Clinton. So yeah. Clinton, the the liberal, the Democrat, mm -hmm. um, he got elected by putting black people in jail at a rate that has never been seen, uh, destroying the welfare state, and moving jobs out of the United States. That's the liberal president. So yeah. we've really redesigned what liberal means and um 
the neoliberals have done that. And it's, uh, it's vehemently anti-union. It's vehemently anti-social justice. And it is um, a really tough thing to watch. And uh, so when the left, what is called the left now in this country, tries to get a coalition together, the first people they will drop is labor and the actual American left. And that's what's really... Okay, so I'm glad that <laughs> Biden has won the election, but Biden has won the election. Here, here's, here's, here's a really great way to put it. If you voted for Trump, you were voting for a guy who is not going to give you health care, a guy who is going to deport uh, citizens of other countries, a guy that is going to bomb third world countries, right? Mm -hmm. And if you voted for Biden, you got exactly the same thing. Yeah. So when the Democratic Party tries to enlist the actual left, um, they don't they don't want to show up because we've been told yeah. for 40 years, we've been told, look, just just vote for the Democrat and then maybe someday you'll get what you want. Well, we haven't. Yeah. But the, and then like people have shown like, well, when you do that, nothing happens. But people still want to have the lesser of the two evils. And so they know they're going to get the votes anyway. Trump has I, I, made gains with uh, some really key demographics in this election. So Trump uh, posted gains in um, in the black vote, in the Hispanic vote, and non-white males. Yeah. In the white woman vote. More, right. And, and it, so it more people seems... of color voted for Trump because people of color really didn't want to vote for the guy who wrote the 94 crime bill. Yeah. And that's so if, entirely if you're African-American and I don't know, I'm, I'm a white guy too. So like, but I can understand the argument that I've heard when you're a black male and you say, look, I've, I can vote for the psychopath or I can vote for the guy who put a bunch of my family members in jail. Yeah. 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 It's all about context. Really. I, people just want to throw out context all the time in politics these days. And it's so important to help you understand what's going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, if you're in a union now, um, the way so I was in the Inland Boatmen's Union in San Francisco, and uh, so it's it's encouraging and it's discouraging in in many ways. So, for instance, the the Union Hall is in the old Sailors Union of the Pacific Hall, which is on First and Harrison, and that was built in the fifties when um, so world, when World War II ended, unions were doing great. So especially like oh, the yeah. longshoremen and the sailors. I have um, some stats. I ooh, let's some, hear them. Oh, I have like, well, I maybe just have one stat. Yeah. Oh, so by the end of World War II, more than 12 million workers belong to unions. Um, and that's, that's from, I think, uh, I'll, I'll post the website on our website. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 12 million. That is remarkable. Yeah. The, the biggest yeah. general strikes that we ever had we're in like 45 and 46 because the war is ending now. Production is ramping down and wages are coming down. Men are coming back from the service and want jobs back. And women are being forced into the house mm -hmm. from the from the industrial jobs they were doing. And so being forced back for a lot of them into the position of not being able to make any money again. Because those jobs aren't available. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there's a lot of upheaval, but um, let's 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 just take the Merchant Marine for for an example, since that's kind of something we're all interested in anyway. Uh, yeah, and we have Mar more of a background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the American Merchant Marine, which was founded 
basically in World War One, when a bunch of shipping companies realized in World War One, look, we're going to have to completely retool our industry to supply soldiers, allies, other countries with war material. Like we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to make a deal with labor. So we're all on the same page. We're going to have to get the unions on board to work harder. So we're going to have to pay them more. So it became, it became um, uh, beneficial for management and labor to work together. Look, look, management will require, we will charge more money for our services. And then we will share that wealth with the labor of our industry. That way we're all on the same page. And that's what built the American Merchant Marine. There is almost no such thing as the American Merchant Marine now. Um, that doesn't really quite exist anymore. It, certainly not the way it did. So then you fast forward to World War II, the same kind of deal is struck between labor and management. And uh, those are shown by stats. Like, for instance, of all of the services in World War II, we're talking the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, the Army Air Corps, um, all of those services, none of them lost as many people as the Merchant Marine. The Merchant Marine lost more than any wow. other I think I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah. Because the Merchant Marine was at war before the United States. In 1940, they oh, were shipping wow. goods to Russia and Britain, and they were being torpedoed by U-boats. So they wow. were already dying before their country was even at war. Uh, so coming out of World War II, the American Merchant Marine was at its strongest. Um, the SUP, the the uh, Sailors International Union, all of these unions were extremely strong. And so they built this beautiful building uh, in San Francisco called uh, Maritime Hall. And it is just a, a, a like memorial to, to labor. It is beautiful. Um, it has bunk rooms. It has an industrial kitchen. It has an auditorium. It has all of these things. And the job hall where you actually like go get a job. The job board is just enormous. There's this mural of World War II. Um, it's just totally art deco. It's gorgeous. And the job board is a football field long of all the jobs that, you know, going to see. But they don't use that anymore because when I went there, they were using a two foot by three foot dry erase board that had four jobs on it for the 60 people that showed up to get a job that day. And that's the state of American labor now, especially in that union. So where those giant sailor unions used to exist, now they're very small unions that are attached to the longshoremen. uh, Yeah. Griffin is, um, he has a bunch of credentials and he's trying to get, he was trying to get into the merchant Marine like industry and work on those kind of boats. And he's talking about the nearest union to us is in Norfolk, Virginia. And he's talking about like, if he can't find anything, he can always go to the union, but it's not guaranteed that you're going to find something once you get there and they need to stay there. So yep. it's pretty complicated. And that's probably, the, that's probably SIU, I imagine on that side of the coast. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's tough when in the, in the 60s and 70s, when management realized how strong sailor unions were, um, they started exploring uh, the idea of flags of convenience, um, which a lot of people are aware of now. But basically what a flag of convenience is, is uh, in order to comply with U.S. law, 
a shipping company, if it wants to fly the American flag, has to build the ship in the United States. They have to hire American crew. And that part of that is the Jones Act, which we all know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, a couple other acts that are important for that. But the idea was to protect the American merchant marine uh, because in times of war, turned out it was really important to have an American merchant marine. Um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, little by little, shipping companies figured out, well, hey, if I don't fly the American flag, I can hire Greek or Filipino sailors for fractions of the cost. And if I fly the flag of, oh, I don't know, Antigua or St. Kitts uh, or Cyprus, uh, I don't have to follow any laws at all because the corrupt governments of those countries will say like, hey, just pay me $100,000 and we'll call it good. We won't even send a safety inspector down there. So um, the the benefit for flying the American flag was the ships arrived on time. There was uh, excellent, excellent jobs performed by highly trained union members that required training just within the union. Um, And the ships were very, very safe and well built. None of that is true. Um, And that crushed uh, the American merchant marine to the point where big sailors unions had to subordinate themselves to the longshoremen or other unions. So I... Uh, my family went on, uh, I think, went on, yeah, we went on three cruises on like big major cruise lines mm-hmm. when uh, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, I only as an adult do I realize the like implica- implications of like uh, what you're kind of funding at that point. Um, and I do remember noticing like hey, this is really interesting. It seems like most of the staff is Filipino. Except for, like, some of the servers and stuff like that who were, like, more in the front of the house. Like, it seemed like all the people you saw, like, going around doing all the work weren't, um, they they weren't American, even though it was, like, allegedly an American company. And I remember thinking, like, okay, I mean, I guess that's that's probably fine. But in, rea- in reality, it probably wasn't because they were probably be- being paid, like, next to nothing. So So just listeners, if you... If you're interested in going on a cruise, look at the smaller ones because the smaller cruise lines are going to be much better at that and they won't be like abusing people in this specific way, at least hopefully not abusing people at all. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I just you, want to throw that in. If you want to go to Alaska, there are like, I think everybody should go to Alaska and there are yeah. incredible ways to go to Alaska, including like many ships where you are one of eight passengers. And that is just a delightful way to go to Alaska. Um, You're not contributing. Obviously, it's more expensive because you're paying for an American experience. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one vessel of a bunch of small passenger vessels that go to Alaska and, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, we don't do the buffet thing, but. I think coronavirus is really dealing kind of a death blow to that industry. Uh, that's the, it's so good. I mean, yeah, it's, like it's a bad industry. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for. It's labor. incredibly wasteful of food. Like you mentioning the buffets, like it's hugely wasteful because you have to throw that stuff out once it's been sitting there for a while, no matter if anyone's touched it or not. So there, there's abundant reasons not to go on giant cruise ships, but um, but yeah, <laughs> that's one um, of them. And there's excellent options out there. Oh, so many great options. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. There, so, you know, if you care about supporting unions, there is generally union-made options for most of the things you buy. Um, the AFL-CIO is still a power in this country. And so let's, let's talk about the good news. In the last three years, 
there have been teacher strikes that have won every single strike in the last three years. Yes. So my my first experience with unions was actually picketing in a teacher strike. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they did come to some kind of uh, understanding at the end of it. They weren't forced back to work, but I can't remember what it was. I should probably look that up. But yeah, yeah. Teacher strikes. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really effective. So there have been some um, uh, like recent assaults on union strength that have failed, which is uh, awesome. Um, for instance, what was going on in Wisconsin. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember, like Scott Walker, the uh, erstwhile governor of Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, after gerrymandering the living hell out of the state of Wisconsin, they were able to take, Republicans were able to take control of the state house and uh, pass these laws uh, in Wisconsin that basically made public uh public unions it basically disallowed them to collectively bargain and uh which defeats unions right correct and and, and in one of the like most visible and shocking protests that i've seen in my lifetime uh teacher the state house in madison and it was incredible and where there was some losses and some gains there what it did remind Americans is that, quote, when we fight, we win. And the strikes that happened, even in southern states in the last few years, uh, the all of those, all of those were successful. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm looking up something here. I do think one thing I wanted to mention in relation to the teacher strikes and the, um, oh, and yeah, in relation to that is that I've I've noticed as I kind of go through my own um, historical sort of experience with unions, which isn't much, um, but like the things that I've seen and the things that I've heard about have actually mostly not been related to like industry or trade unions, they've been things like police unions and teacher unions. So like they really help across the board in pretty much any profession. I think police unions are worth a little discussion in a minute here too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The the number I was looking for that I wanted to share with you that's another bit of good news uh, is uh, in 2009, uh, memberships in public sector unions surpassed Mm -hmm. private sector unions for the first time ever and so is a private uh, sector union is that like a company has a union or something yeah or i get that right yeah so so public sector the differentiation being it's um like uh something that's being paid for by they're waged by um government or it's something that's under democratic control for instance like uh uh, garbage workers, uh, something municipal, for instance, is a public sector union. Teachers are a public sector union. Um, federal government workers. So the largest public sector union in America is the United Postal Service. Okay. So uh, so the USPS employs, uh, I, I forget what their number is. I had to look that up too. But that they're all union. So every single person working for the USPS is union. And that is uh one of the other biggest unions in the country is the um is is federal workers so u.s federal workers for instance people working at justice people working at uh 
you know, defense, people working at all these different federal government levels, they're union as well. And so in kind of a naked power grab this year, uh, the Republicans assaulted the biggest union there is, right, which is the USBS. So if they can break that union, they weaken and destroy the largest union in the nation. And so many other things transitively. Right. So it it wasn't just about the election (laughs) with the Postal Service. It was about crushing that union. Mm -hmm. and uh they failed thank god yeah i didn't think about it till you were just talking but my future in-laws my father-in-law is a teacher and my mother-in-law is a postal worker so i'm just into a family family. probably got something to say about unions yeah and then if griffin ends up being a merchant marine i'm just i'm gonna have to find my own union to sit in (laughs) well there's um, actually you know there's nothing stopping you from starting your own union i'll I'll post this on the um on the website but um so it wasn't it wasn't therapist specifically but i one of the podcasts i listened to was about unions specifically as how they relate to social work Yes. Um, which was really cool and really informative. It was one of the better ones I listened to because like a lot of them will just be talking about a current event rather than something as a whole. And that one kind of right. had a good flow to it. So I can put that up. Um, can we just for just for a moment, can we talk about like the specific concrete things that um, unions fight for for people just so so we can understand. So there's higher wages is one of them. Fair mm-hmm. wages, one might say. Um, safe working conditions is definitely one of those. The um, no, uh, non-discrimination, hopefully, mm-hmm. is something unions fight for. So what what else? Uh... It, so unions have had like kind of a rough history, um, just like the, the, the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Unions have dealt with misogyny. Unions have dealt with racism. Um, uh, in particular, the, the railroad unions in the early days were not open to blacks. Uh, and so yeah. labor has to own that history, uh, just like we do in this country. We have to own that and we have to uh, rectify that. And so the, the like the watchword for all unions, for the left in general, the, like the only thing I'd be hearing from quote unquote liberal political candidates either is the word solidarity. And when we have solidarity, that is equality, and we need to extend that to everyone. So any union um, should be. So there's one union that we ought to talk about: the, the IWW or the or the Wobblies, um, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Industrial Workers of the World. They were started by a guy named Bill Haywood, who had separated from another union, and their the idea behind the IWW was one union, not don't differentiate between skilled and unskilled labor because that's how management divides us. We will mm. be one big union. We will fight for everyone equally. Um, they were a very radical union. They are still around today. Their um, only uh, condition of membership is that you are not a, a manager or an owner. You are a worker. Uh, and that's, that's their, their rule. But in the past unions have fought notable union victories have been, uh, specifically, I think the most important one probably is an eight-hour workday. Uh, that was a uh, union victory in the early 20th century. Um, that is huge. Yeah. And that's, I mean, a 40-hour work week and a yeah. eight-hour workday is, that is 100% a union victory. So I don't understand 
anti uh, left anti unionist organizations or politicians talking about how bad unions are. When it's like, do you, do you work an eight hour workday? Yeah. Do you have right? Weekends? I think uh, yeah. I think I learned about this in class in my one macro social work with that deals a lot with like policy and stuff and how like mm -hmm. the original social workers weren't called that, but like I think they were actually like a union of some sort that vote like advocated for stuff like the eight hour workday and like child labor laws and stuff like that. So yeah, so that's well, the it other would make one. sense for people in that line of work to want to do that because they have a better understanding of how people are actually functioning day to day. Right. And look at look at it from a um kind of zoom out to like a thirty thousand foot view. If you are unable to do anything besides work and if your child is unable to go to school because they have to work then what you've done effectively is created a wage slavery system for that family for eternity their child cannot become educated and get a better job than their parent had and so you have condemned that entire family for generations to wage slavery that's it so uh you know one of the great union um quotes is uh, eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for what you will. Yeah. And that is that is your day. Um, and that is incredibly important for, like, you can look at it from a scientific perspective, too. Someone working every moment of their waking life is not healthy or good for your mental or physical health. I mean, none of that is good. Like, having a child... Sleep. Having a child work is not good, you know, like having a child work at uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, that's not great, you know. Um, uh, and I want to mention women, uh, especially in the, uh, in, in a couple of different areas. Women in the garment industry were incredibly important to union history. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, women gathering to organize in especially so i just mentioned the triangle shirtwaist factory that had a fire that was very famous and, and dozens yeah. of women died in that and that was just like the shock of like wait women are dying now i mean it's it's one thing when like uh you know irish immigrants are getting killed by um, yeah. the army for rioting in the west uh but when um women and let's be honest here white women die yeah. in a fire that is suddenly like, wait, what are, who are we as a country? We can't allow yeah. this to happen. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, as you say, particularly white women, because I'm sure that that would have been a much different story that I maybe wouldn't even be remembered today if it hadn't been white women, um, which is something we should acknowledge. Absolutely. But. And it's, it's people putting their lives on the line and in some instances laying down their lives. And that's what, um, that's what changes things. So, yeah. So the things that they fight for, um, that's, uh, and then, and then wages is, of course, important. And I think one of the biggest, right now, I think the biggest fight that um, unions are for, focusing on and, and should continue to is a single-payer health system. Not, unions yeah. almost don't matter if, if you're a worker and conditions are bad and your union decides to strike at whatever industry you're working at, um, it is illegal uh, to a certain degree you can't be fired for strike. There's certain worker protections in the National Labor Relations Act of 19, I want to say 35, that says that you can collectively bargain, that you can't be fired for being in a union, things like that. That's you're protected there. But when you strike, your employer is 100% allowed to say, well, yeah, you're allowed to strike and you're allowed to walk out on work and not be fired for it. But that doesn't mean I have to keep your health plan going. Yeah. So the way industry works 
against unions now is they take away their health care. And then you're probably not going to continue to pick it because you can't afford yeah. to be without health care. Uh, so strikes are almost toothless if there's no national single payer health care system, which we need right now. We needed yes, it 30 do. years ago. Yeah. So that's the big fight. And it's an important one. Oof. And I got yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest and admit, I am not currently in a union. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, like, uh, I, I don't want to speak hey. for unions, but that should be the big thing. Yeah, no, either am I. I have one quick, one quick uh, uh, fact that I want to bring out here. So collective bargaining more than tripled weekly earnings in manufacturing between 1945 and 1970. Um, I'll post imagine. the source for that as well. But like, just, just that. And, and I want our listeners' takeaway to not be that like, oh, suddenly they were making bank. It's like they were making horrible wages before, and then you may maybe hopefully got to a place of being uh, decently paid. So that's not. <laughs> let's make sure and contextualize history and understand that like the reason they're asking for this is not, um, it's not ego. It's subsistence. Um, uh, the Green New living. Deal. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the Green New Deal offers some exciting possible opportunities for labor in the upcoming years. So I'm like kind of enthusiastic about seeing what happens with that. Um, that has the possibility of bringing manufacturing jobs to the U.S. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but it's, oh, did you want to talk about police unions? Oh yeah, police. So uh, yeah, police. So. <laughs> Police were not unionized until the 20th century, late, 20, you know, like mid 20th century. And um, what has fought against unions and fought against uh, better conditions and um, the biggest impediment to labor success has been the police for the entire existence of unions. Police are the ones who break strikes. Police are the yeah. ones who kill people. Police are the possibly responsible for the Haymarket explosion. Um, if, you ever heard of the, uh, you ever heard of the Ludlow massacre? You ever heard about yeah. that one? Um, I think it was 1913. There was a coal miner strike in Colorado and uh, the Colorado National Guard and police uh, just set up some machine guns and just started mowing down protesters. Uh, assassinated, actually like executed the leader of yeah. the strike. So what was and the end of this one again? That was 1913, I want to say. Oh my god! Um, and then there was like a hole, like with a tent over it, uh, like a like a hole in the ground that a bunch of women and children hid in, and then they lit it on fire and killed <gasps> 11 women and children. Um, oh and my like, god! Actually, actually, the federal government, like the federal troops, showed up and arrested the Colorado National Guard, like because they were so insane and murdering people. Uh, See, where was that we, in Portland a while ago? We just had, we ju I posted this on, um, I just posted this on uh, Instagram if you're interested, but I posted a thing about, we just had the anniversary uh, for the uh, Everett Massacre in Everett, Washington here, not too far from where I live. The Everett Massacre happened in 1916. That was um, 300 workers were uh, from the IWW, the Wobblies, were protesting working conditions in Everett. They got on a ferry to come to Everett from Seattle, and they were met at the ferry with 200 armed, deputized uh, no. goons who were just oh locals and um, 
you know, like people that were hired by the shingle mill owners. I've and, never uh, heard of that. I've never heard of this, uh, this event. And I'm from, I'm from Washington. I'm not from Everett, yeah. but reasonably close. So I probably should have heard of this. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they, they opened fire and killed a bunch of them. And it's just like, it was, a, it was a war and, you know, 200 armed people. Um, it was crazy. And you come from Grace Harbor County, which has an incredible, incredibly rich uh, history of the Wobblies in um, yeah. in Grace Harbor County. The Wobblies really uh, got most of their strength from uh, the lumber industry. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Grace Harbor County is a, a great Wobbly yeah. industry. And I, yeah, yeah, just for, yeah, for all um, of our listeners who don't know me, which is probably like two right now. Uh, but yeah, I come from a place that's really <laughs> big on lumber, and uh, and actually Hope comes from a place that's really big on steel. So came from Steel City Industry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, the United Steelworkers Union is uh, an early union and an incredibly, incredibly important one to labor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like Great Lakes uh, United Auto Workers, uh, yep. very important, very important union. And once again, all of that involves steel too. <laughs> you know, there's there's no United Auto Workers without United Steel Workers. So solidarity is the watchword. You know, we all uh, <laughs> a, 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 a rising tide lifts all boats. All right. Um, so um, we we probably should wrap up the next ten minutes or wait. so. Can I have a, can uh, I do a question real yeah. quick? It's our show. We we can make it as long as we want. We <laughs> just have a better chance of people listening to it if, if it's under an hour and a half that's right. true so <laughs> ryan you said you were going to school for education correct what is your goal for teaching god damn it luna what are you doing sorry it's my cat she, she just got a new kitten and the new kitten and the cat i think are it's chaos it here it's, it's chaos because chaos well during the origin like earlier the the original cat toffee was in here and she and Luna's been, it's a whole thing. We're trying to do room switching so they can get used to each other's scents. And Toph was crying, so I kept giving her treats to kind of calm her down. And now Luna's in here, and she's, like, trying to eat me all the time and give me nibbles. Anyway, so you're going to school for education. Yes. So what are you planning on teaching? Uh, uh, I want to teach math. No, I'm totally kidding. I want to teach high school history. <laughs> it's like, why yeah. does that be so <laughs> mad? I was like, no, you can't. No. <laughs> yeah, so like, high school history would be great. That'd be yeah. a great fit. Because, like, yeah, whenever like you're to... talking, I'm just thinking about, like, my own high school experience. And I graduated in 2011, which wasn't it's less than a decade ago, but it was still a mm-hmm. while ago. And we learned about, you know, you learn about your area. So I learned about, like, mm-hmm. how the steel industry was really good for, like, wars and stuff like that. But I didn't know. Part of being an adult is I'm learning that you have to teach yourself the history that matters. Because we were taught about how great Clinton was and how great Reagan was. Mm-hmm. And I grew up and I'm like these guys weren't that great like nobody's that great but like these guys were shouldn't be revered the way that they are and i just oh no the founding fathers were faultless so those guys <sighs> are probably fine too i just i just it, it it's giving me more optimism if there's people like you being like clinton wasn't that great guys <laughs> i i i actually had a very good high school history teacher so uh i i could see you basically being very similar to how she was in the the yeah. terms of <laughs> so okay so there's this but we're also going to talk about this side of it that no one ever talks about right it's uh, it's funny because i'm i'm doing my you know uh, i have like a mentor teacher and you know covid is there's no classes meeting you know in person so i'm just like on zoom classes with uh 
you know, my mentor teacher, but uh, my mentor teacher, since, since it's Zoom and I don't have to show up in person, uh, my mentor teacher is my high school history teacher from California. Oh, um, that's awesome. So, yeah. So that's been like, and we're doing a unit on uh, U.S. elections right now and the 13th, oh. 14th and 15th amendments, which are incredibly important in kind of, um, they're doing a, re- they're doing a unit on reconstruction and mm-hmm. he's tying it in with the election now, which is great because yeah. the most contested election probably of all time was during reconstruction, the 1866 election, uh, right. 76 election, sorry. Um, but the, uh, it's really interesting talking to high school kids about what they think about politics and it's really encouraging and heartening and yeah. It's yeah. really wonderful to see, like, you can, you know, the study of history is not talking about good news. Like, yeah. that doesn't need to be, there is, like, there there are moments of incredible human suffering and perseverance, and there's, like, wonderful stories to tell about successes and failures, but it really doesn't have to be a, uh, like, a, a advertising, an advertisement for American exceptionalism. That just yeah. doesn't have to be what it is. And I think and, that high school students especially are smart enough to understand that a lot of, there, there's a lot of bullshit in there, to be quite honest. Yeah. Like, like, I think they're, I think high school students are so much more intelligent and so much more capable of understanding complex ideas than we give them credit for. Um, yeah. Especially Gen Z. Yeah, and, and so what I what I told Hope. Oh, by the way, we broke a hundred Instagram followers today. Um, <laughs> so it's like you know, say small victories. Um, but what what I notice is when we get followed by something that's not like another podcast or like you know, so someone we followed. Um, if it's just someone who found us because I promoted a post or something. If I go like click on their profile and look at it, a lot of them are like the Gen Z, that'd be like 19 year olds and stuff who are kind of Less just starting so. their like adult life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really cool. You like you followed us because you saw a post about uh, like the show we did about the Electoral College. Maybe you haven't listened to it yet, but it's really cool that you have. That's that the one I really want to listen to. So, I really want to. First one. Oh, I yeah. can't wait. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one yet. The um. I think, uh, and and we we're talking about solidarity. Like, I really get annoyed by seeing divisive generational posts. I want nothing but solidarity with Gen Z. I want nothing but solidarity with Gen X. Like, this is our time right now, and I like, I love Gen Z, and I'm so encouraged by what I see from them, and I just can't wait to see what the next decade holds and yeah. uh, yeah. I, it seems like they're really a social justice generation coming up and mm-hmm. they have to be that. they like didn't have yeah. a choice we didn't leave them mm-hmm. with anything yeah. well, like, I, I, like, <laughs> i've seen where like things were like oh we push like the hunger games and other things with like strong female leads doing revolutions on them and then right. told them not to do that well i working. also saw i saw a thing that was like boomers raise millennials and gen x raised gen z that's what's going on yeah. there and i was like oh that's that's true yeah and i i'm uh i'm in i'm in like a no man's land i was born in 1982 i don't fit you cuss oh, yeah well, so was uh, so is like, chris it, yeah, it depends on what weird. you look at yeah. yeah yeah i mean like one of the big things about millennials is they grew up with um the internet and i kind of didn't Right. Like by the time I was in high school, the internet was pretty ubiquitous, but like when you, when something like really becomes 
in use when you're already 14 or 15 mm-hmm. you're not like that into it you're already like I'm, I'm into comic books like I, I i was into that before the internet so i'm just going to keep reading comic books or, right you know what i mean it's just not um i didn't have a smartphone until i was like 25 you know yeah. so like it's i, it's, I didn't either yeah yeah griffin and my little sister were born in 97 and 96 so they're cuspy mm-hmm. with like gen z and millennials so they like talk about code switching with it depends on who they're talking to and what they relate to because yeah. he, they and I had like crossovers. Like I think of generational based on like what you watched when you were little and there was like a little crossover between the two of us, but then there's like a whole thing that I miss cause I was too old that they understand. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Very interesting. It's exciting. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not always a doom and gloom guy. I'm, I'm usually like, I'm going to hit you with all of the worst stuff. And if you're still listening, here's the good news. You know, like, <laughs> I, I kind of front load the medicine and then give leave the sugar yeah. till the end, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's um, our history is problematic. It's complicated and it's uh, changeable. And I, yeah. I really like try to deliver that message. So important. Yeah, yeah. it is changeable. Um, well, I mean, it seems like unless anyone else has stuff they wanted to wanted to point out about labor, we're probably like wrapping up on that. Um, I just also... really, I really want to have history lessons with Ryan as a recurring yeah. segment. I think that'd be so really I think we could good. Do that. <laughs> Anytime, I'm. I'm I would uh, like that, and and it's you could look at it as practice for uh, for teaching. Yeah. Well, I also I also like bought this laptop I'm using and this microphone I'm using and these headphones I'm using because I'm planning on. Uh, Maybe this is premature, but I'm planning on starting a history podcast uh, or two. So there's one that I'm uh, that I, I've already done a bunch of writing on and prep on. So I'm um, probably going to just start that pretty soon. But um, it's a Northwest Pacific Northwest history podcast called yes. Far Corner, and uh, I'm just gonna, Far Corner, Far Corner, um, which is a term that uh, my favorite Northwest historian came up with, a guy named Stu Holbrook. And so I'm just going to, it's going to be kind of a, um, a working class history podcast and uh, uh, weird, strange mysteries uh, of the cool. Northwest, of which there are an incredible amount. And oh. uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of working through this. I'm nice. excited. So hopefully, excited. Um, hopefully I'll start with that as soon as the wiring and insulation on this house is done. So maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, um, January 1st, I'm going to start, start recording. Well, as soon as you do, we'll give you a shout out to Absolutely. our 15 listeners. Love it. <laughs> we have, yeah. no, let's, let me, let me check how many listeners we have right now. Let me see here. Cause I can I'm look really, at the catalog. It's, it's kind of fun. to know that there's people listening that aren't like blood related to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. Not I'm gonna, well, and I'll probably have some, I'll probably be asking advice on uh, how to start a podcast for you guys. So. Yeah, we, we have, um. So right now we have 22 repeat listeners, <laughs> which is like, yeah, it, it's small. It starts somewhere, but we actually That's haven't 20 done. 20 than I was expecting. We haven't think, done a huge amount of promotion just because we don't like, we don't have money to really, uh, mm-hmm. to advertise, but also it's the beginning. And so it's a time when you can just kind of figure it out and then advertise stuff later. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's really, so I think that, um, my partner was telling me about this earlier today when I told her I was doing this. She said, you need to, there, you need to start a podcast that just, um, without judgment, um, gets, how she word it? She said something like, uh, like my high school didn't do a good job teaching me history. 
It would be yeah. If you had a podcast that was just like, hey, um, it's okay to know, it's okay to admit you didn't like know something about something in history. No judgment. This is a very basic, like, like, why was World War One a thing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, why, your, why, your high school why was the Civil War thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, of my, yeah. one of my cherished memories about Ryan back when we called him by a different name. Uh, <laughs> that name's fine. Nickname. Yeah, <laughs> back when we called him Otis. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like shithead or anything. Um, no, shit. That yeah. was a different person. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, oh no, that was shit bucket. That's right. No, um, so the, anyway, but when, when Ryan uh, would buy Otis on the boats, and uh, yeah, I sure have this memory of us being in a car with our uh, our captain, who's now our dearly departed captain, um, Jake, and um, he, uh, I remember him asking you and uh, our other friend, Paul Boyer, uh, so how did the Civil War start? And I was in the front seat and just rolling my eyes like, oh, please, no, no. What did you do? <laughs> well, we're going to be here for yeah. a couple of hours. <laughs> well, oh, oh and, the, and, and, and also all three of you guys were drunk. It was, yes. it was it was it was someone else yes. in the front seat who yes. who I, I think we were you know attempting to make that happen and you guys already had but it was oh, oh yes. gosh it was so funny I just yeah, remember thinking he doesn't know what he walked into uh, I'm gonna move my computer here so you can see my little Jake memorial oh look oh, at that guy nice. he was the captain the first time I ever went sailing on lady and that's him with his sextant on lady Washington yeah he was super young then that's probably like 1982. Yeah. That's the year I was born. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've got that sex then. Um, his brother gave it to me. And oh, uh, nice. yeah, yeah. Anyway, another conversation. But okay, yeah, well, I'm really I, thankful to be a part. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank thanks you for so coming. much for doing this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to call a friend uh, anytime, let me know. Yeah, if we, you need, we'd love to. If you need an enthusiastic, ignorant audience for your podcast, just ring us up. I think I need to do like some, uh, I think I need, you know, a, uh, a Costello to my Abbott. Um, you know, it's, so I've noticed definitely. So I, I decided that I would only do a podcast if Hope on do with me. Cause you have to have someone who you have good rapport with and mm-hmm. she and I <laughs> do. And, and also she was moving to North Carolina. So it's a nice way for us to spend mm-hmm. time together. But, but also like, I've just noticed that. So the, the first, the, the, the second episode we did had guests and we weren't necessarily talking a lot about having guests, but we really liked it. So I think we're going to try to have guests come on be, to talk about things they know about because it makes sense to invite other people and, also, that one was just such a fun one to begin with. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about polyamory. <laughs> I mean, that was that one was awesome. Good, I loved yeah. it. And yeah, uh, I think I think just we the two had so of much your, fun. And the, the well, the, the two of your like personalities, just like for this um, uh, medium, just works really, really well. I like um, to think I'm a pretty enthusiastic listener and then also an enthusiastic reactor, which is why it works. Because Rosie's usually telling me I'm what's going more on and I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember no, the Electoral College. You had a really great reaction. to. Oh, it was like, just the winner takes all. How did you not all. know that? She was like, how did you not know that? I know we talked about that in history. And I was like, so it's bad such a frustrating, cool. Such That's a frustrating why. story. I know. But okay. I would, yeah, I would but suggest. You guys are great for it. 
I would suggest finding somebody who's who has very cartoonish reactions to things and is a good yeah. listener. Okay. So it's a good balance to have. Right. <laughs> just yeah, we could have you uh, uh doing uh episodes with like uh old man Snee or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to do like at least an episode or two with uh with Elmo too, because I think that'd be super oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thanks again. And um, yeah. if there's anything else you need for this one, like something that didn't record or if, anything else. Um, if there's awesome. any resources, yeah, I will have something, you know, if there's any resources that you um, mm -hmm. that you want to pass on, that's like something where I can put a link up to on a website, that would mm -hmm. be great. Um, yeah, I, I think, think just... um, definitely one for people who are interested in reading more um, is uh, Jackman uh, Magazine, um, I think is an important voice from the left and a, a, a pro labor pro union platform okay. um if some of this stuff interests you uh i would recommend looking into uh democratic socialists of america that's a, a party that's working for for good and uh try them out if you're attracted by the policies of or candidacies of guys like bernie sanders or alexandria ocasio-cortez definitely yeah. look towards uh, Democratic Socialists of America. It's a great party. All right. Yeah. Cool. I'm on. Uh, I'm on Captain Luddite on uh, Instagram, and I usually post a labor thing every once in a while, so you can. Yeah, that, that's there. actually why. That's actually why we asked you on is because I remembered. Like, I, it was one of the things that was on our list, and I was like, "Would anyone be good to?" Oh, yeah, because posting <laughs> stuff about that. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Follow him on Captain Luddite. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at. Um, vkoe underscore podcast or at twitter uh on at vague underscore of and also all of our resources that we used for our research on this um will be uh which I, I have some stuff where i got my facts from and all that that'll all be up on our website which is a vague knowledge of everything.com and if anyone feels the need to get in touch with us for anything you can find a way to do that on our website so yeah. Oh, and all the episodes are up on the website as well as on Spotify. So if you know anyone who doesn't have Spotify and you want to recommend us, they can listen on our website. So, yep. I'll yep. Uh, email you the title and author of two books that I recommend too. Cool. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, uh, usually uh, I say I'm Rosie and facts matter. And I hope. I'm Hope. And now that you know better, do better. And this is Ryan. I don't think he has a sign off <laughs> phrase yet, but I'll work on it for next time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, pleasure. I'll see you guys later. All right. Bye. Adios. Thank you. Bye.